The story of Gideon that is told in the book of Judges is a story that all Bible readers are familiar with. So this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to put yourself in Gideon's shoes. Gideon was a farmer. And while Gideon was a farmer, God called him to lead Israel and save them from the Midianites. To be more precise, Gideon was a farmer who was threshing wheat. But instead of beating the wheat on the hillside where the wind could carry the chaff away, Gideon had relocated his threshing floor to the bottom of the wine press. Now the fact that Gideon's threshing floor is in the bottom of the wine press gives us a very lively picture of what the Israelites had been reduced to by the Midianites. You see, the habit of the Midianite raiders was to strike quickly. They would strip the lush fields bare. They would slaughter the cattle. They would slaughter the donkeys. And there in the wine press, all alone, threshing wheat, hiding from the Midianites, cowering like he was, is where God angel found this man Gideon. The angel of the Lord comes to Gideon with a message in Judges chapter 6 and verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, let's be honest. You, You can't blame Gideon if he's a bit skeptical of that statement. Look at verse 13. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all His miracles that our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You see, up in verse 6, the writer tells us that Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And yet this angel comes to Gideon and said, The Lord is with thee, you mighty man of valor. And so Gideon says, Well, you know, if the Lord is with us, why is all this trouble befallen us? It's almost like Gideon says to the angel, If the Lord is with us, I'd hate to see what life is like for those people that the Lord is not with. Because they must really have it bad. But the angel of the Lord has a message for Gideon. Gideon has been chosen to save Israel. Verse 15, the angel says, The Lord has chosen thee to deliver Israel. From the hand of the Midianites. That's what the angel said to Gideon. And then in verse 15, Gideon protests. Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? My family is poor in Manasseh. I am the least. In my father's house. 
And then listen to the Lord's answer. Surely, I'll be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites. Gideon protests. He said, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm the least in my father's house. My family's poor. My family's not a prominent family. Here's the lesson in that. God uses people. God uses people that men would reject. It's not always the most eloquent, the most imposing, the most cultured that the Lord chooses and the Lord uses. You remember when God called Moses? Moses offered the same type of excuses to God. God told Moses he was going to go to Pharaoh. And Moses said, I'm slow of speech. I have a slow tongue. I'm not eloquent. And let's face it. If you look at the life of Moses, when God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, Moses was 80 years old. That's not usually the age at which people start leading great revolutions. And Moses was not exactly on the fast track to be written up as one of the ten most successful men of his generation. He had started out as royalty. He had started out life as the grandson of Pharaoh. And now he's tending his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of nowhere. He's just another shepherd. He's a nobody. But God appeared to that tongue-tied shepherd. And God used a tongue-tied shepherd by the name of Moses to lead His people Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And sometime later, we're going to hear an explanation of that. It's going to occur when God chooses David to be king instead of one of David's more impressive older brothers. David was the youngest in his family. He was the least among his brothers. He was the one that God chose. And do you remember the explanation that God gives us? It's in First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. But here in Judges chapter 6, We see poor Gideon offered the same kind of excuses Moses offered. And so if you read through the story, Gideon then wants some kind of proof. He wants the Lord to send him some kind of a sign that the Lord is with him. In fact, if you actually read the story sometime, and it's an interesting story, he just nearly worried God to death. He nearly drove God to distraction, asking for just one more sign. Just one more sign, God, just to be sure. But then I want you to look at the way Judges chapter 7 opens. Then Gideon and all the people that were with him rose up early. And the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt itself against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. 
You keep reading. You find out Gideon had amassed an army by that time of 32,000 men ready to rise up against the Midianites. But guess what? God said that's too many. Everybody that's afraid, let them go home. And Gideon watched as 22,000 of his 32,000 men walked away because they were afraid. Don't you know his heart sank? As he realized from 32,000, he's down to 22,000. And then God said, that's still too many. God said, you've still got too many. He said, bring them down to the water. This is in verse 4 of chapter 7. I'll try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go and this shall stay. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, they shall not go. So he brought them down to the people under the water. The Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog, him shall set by himself. Every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And listen to it. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred. But the rest of the people bowed down on their knees to drink water. And look at verse 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go every man to his own place. Can you imagine this? Gideon starts out with 32,000 men ready to do battle against the Midianites. And now he's down to 300 men. Don't you know his heart sank? Looking at that handful of men. Gideon saying to himself, what have I gotten into now? What was I thinking about? It was only a handful of men, but it was a handful on purpose. Because those 300 men were God's separated men. Those were 300 men ready to do whatever it was God would command. God's divine method is Quality, not quantity. God does not desire appearances. God desires truth in the inward parts. Now, we might look at Gideon's faith in a little different light. And in doing so, we can see the immense risk that Gideon ran. Gideon had all the human probabilities against him. And the only thing Gideon had going for him was the promise of God. Less than an hour's march from Gideon's 300 men was an army of 135,000. Gideon's position was a position of utmost danger. For Gideon to have weakened his force by as few as a thousand men would have been an act of great imprudence. 
To be stripped of all but 300 men is like courting destruction. It's tantamount to putting his head in a lion's mouth. Humanly speaking. From a purely human point of view, leaving God out of the equation, Gideon and his 300 men would be crushed like insects under the feet of the Midianite host. But God told him to reduce his force. So by the instructions of Almighty God, Gideon deliberately reduced his force to 300 men. And he marched from his stronghold into the enemy's camp. And he set the word and promise of God on one side of the balance scales. He set the fearful risks and dangers of the Midianites on the other side of the scales. And he found something out. He found the risks and dangers were nothing compared with the word and the promise of God. He went down with his 300 men in full confidence of the victory which he won that we're going to look at in a moment. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Men and women of great faith. People of great faith have always emerged victorious. Look at the children of Israel when they went up against Jericho. Joshua chapter 6 tells us that Jericho was straightly shut up. That means Jericho was locked up tight. And it was locked up tight because they were afraid of the children of Israel. And God gave instructions for capturing the city. God's instructions were they were to march around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times. And the priests would sound the trumpet. The people would shout with a great shout. And the walls of the city would fall down flat. I don't know of any military academy in the world that teaches that as a battle strategy. But Israel did it. Israel did as God commanded. And because of their obedience, the victory was theirs. And it was a victory of faith. You go read in Hebrews 11, by faith the walls of Jericho came down. There was a harlot in Jericho by the name of Rahab. And she was victorious because of her faith. Because when Joshua sent men to spy out the city of Jericho, Rahab hid those men. Rahab said, I've heard of the God that Israel serves. I've heard how the God of Israel dried up the waters of the Red Sea. She also told them she'd heard about the two Amorite kings, Sihon and Og. You remember them, don't you? Sihon and Og. The tragic fate of those two kings is one of the more obscure incidents in Israel's journey. 
Sihon, it seems, refused to let Israel pass through his land. He went up against Israel. The Bible says Israel smote him with the sword. Og also went up against Israel. And we're told that Israel smote him and his sons and all the people until there were none left alive. And they possessed the land. It's really an interesting story. It's recorded in Numbers chapter 21, verses 21 through 35. Well, Rahab had heard all of these things. And so she asked those spies Joshua sent. She said, would you save me and my family when you come and conquer Jericho? Because of her faith. And because of the scarlet thread, because of the scarlet rope she hung from her window, Rahab and all of her family were spared. Gideon's victory. Gideon's victory was a victory of faith. Turn with me to Judges chapter 7, beginning with verse 15. And it was so. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream, and the interpretation thereof, he worshipped, and returned unto the host of Israel, and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall you do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow you the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came to the outside of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. Now listen. And all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together and pursued after the Midianites. Imagine that. A Midianite army of 135,000, routed by an army of 300, with nothing more than pitchers and lamps and trumpets. But those 300 came in the power of God. Now, can you imagine a more ridiculous military strategy than that? Trumpets and lamps and pitchers? Can you imagine anything? Well, maybe the fall of Jericho, where you march around the city and blow the trumpet and shout real loud. Oh, well, maybe a little shepherd boy named David with three small 
stones and a sling going out to do battle against the Philistine giant Goliath. Oh, yeah. And then there's that incident where Deborah, in the power of God, fought against and was victorious over those 900 chariots of iron. You see, people with the power of God on their side, throughout the history of God's Word, people with God on their side won impossible victories. They won them through faith. This book is filled with examples of victories through faith. In the early morning of time, there was Abel and Cain. They offered sacrifices. The Hebrew writer says in his Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, and by he being dead, yet speaketh. There were the dual victories of Abraham by faith. God called him to leave his father's house and his kinsmen, and he left. By faith, he called on him to offer his only son Isaac, and Abraham was true to that test. Or then there was Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, prepared an ark to the saving of his people. You see, when Noah was building that big boat, it had never rained before. Noah spent 120 years building that boat. And the whole time he's building that boat, he's telling people it's going to rain. God's going to destroy the earth with a great flood. And you need to repent. And there he is building that big boat in his backyard. And everybody in the neighborhood told their children, don't you go near Noah's house. That old man's crazy. That man is nuts. What's this rain he keeps talking about? And that big boat he's building. Don't you kids go anywhere near his house. By faith. Noah was warned of God of things not seen as yet. And he was victorious through faith. Oh, and then there's the victory of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Or Daniel in the den of lions when God stayed the lion's mouth. Paul's faith was so strong, Paul would write these words for us. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 8 and 9. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And he followed that with these words in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. For we walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Friends, God does not search for born leaders. When God chose Gideon, He wasn't searching for a man who would be great in the eyes of His own people. God wasn't looking for a self-reliant man who would take credit for every victory. God needed someone whose weakness He could use. Someone whose apparent unsuitability would eventually convince His people that their God was still with them. Their God was still powerful. Their God was still strong. God called Gideon a mighty warrior. 
And he did it at precisely the moment when that kind of a description was the hardest to believe. How could he comprehend it when his idea of himself threshing wheat in the wine press was so contrary to God's idea? But because of God's remarkable patience, Gideon was able to eventually overcome his doubts and Gideon was able to become the man God intended for Gideon to be. By believing in God, he lived out his life not as a timid man, but as a warrior. As a man who had won a brilliant victory. You know, when we look in the mirror, a lot of us are like Moses and Gideon were when God called them. We're hiding out. We're living our own lives. We're reluctant to alter the status quo. We can't believe that we're able or or capable of any kind of greatness. Are you listening? Through the power of God, we, you and me, we can accomplish great things. Fully surrendered to the will of God, we can do great things in His service. And one day look back not with regret, but with gratitude. Amazed at the great things that God has done in a life fully surrendered to Him. But for that to happen, Jesus Christ has to be Lord and Master of your life. Not just Lord and Master of part of your life. He's got to be Lord and Master of all of your life. I'm going to say this one more time. If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He is not Lord and Master at all in your life. And if you need to make changes for Jesus to be Lord of your life, whether it's to put Him on in baptism, repenting of everything that's sin in your life and confessing His name, or whether it's to come back and say, I haven't lived God's kind of life. If you need to make changes, if there's something we can help you with, This is your opportunity to come and give us the opportunity to help you make Jesus the Lord of your life as together we stand and while we sing.